Hello and welcome to the Yes Indeed podcast created by Mark Shepard and run by me, Thomas Manuel. If I sound any different, it's because I have managed to upgrade some audio equipment. I've got a lovely new audio interface, among other things. And, you know, this kind of incremental progress towards being a nice sounding and competently produced podcast is because of my patrons over at Patreon. Patrons such as Jonathan, Lowell Francis, Josh Sled, Jason Tochi, John Coxon, and Shane Marble. So if you'd like to join them, please head over to patreon.com slash IndieRPG and support the show. With that said, let's get to the interview. Hello, I'm sitting down with Fiona Hopkins and Stephanie Burt. They're the co-hosts of Team Up Moves, a podcast about playing and discussing superhero tabletop RPGs. I'm a personal fan of the podcast and I reached out to the two of them and they've been kind enough to say yes and sit down with me. Apart from RPGs, Fiona is a software engineer by trade. She's worked at various big software companies, as well as civic organizations, and now the Democratic Party, which is very cool. Stephanie is a poet and a professor of English at Harvard University. She's also a critic who has written a number of books. And you can find out more about that on her Wikipedia page, which she has, which is also very cool. Now I need to go see if there are, if it's correct. Not that I can do anything about it. If it's not, that's up to, you know, our listeners. How, how are the two of you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having us on this podcast. This is a, a real pleasure. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm honored and delighted and no longer in Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> a fascinating place to which I hope to return, but it's good to be home. <laughs> I'm seeing this X-Men poster behind you, Stephanie. Clearly, the two of you are big fans of, of superheroes, so let's, let's get started. I read uh, an article you wrote in 2014, Stephanie, in Slate magazine, where you kind of wrote it in the voice of Kitty Pride, And this was, I think, just after X-Men Japan. Days of Future Past, which I saw in, in cinemas at that time and was not, was not a great movie. <laughs> but you wrote, no. <laughs> the X-Men should be a team. All our cool moves when we battle the bad guys are team moves. The X-Men believe in cooperation among individuals, amongst social groups, and across species. Okay, so clearly, I am sensing some kind of ethos that ties into the name of your podcast, Team Up Moves. So maybe we can start there. What is exciting to you about superhero media specifically and what led up to Team Up Moves? Should we flip a coin or Fiona, do you want to start? Why don't you start? You're the most excited about superhero media. So why don't you start there? That's true. So I have been, I mean, the, the secret to the piece you read in Slate, which I'm, I'm glad you liked, is that pretty much everything I do is in the voice of Kitty Pride. <laughs> I know that like Kitty Pride. It's just I don't normally get to say so for, you know, reasons of copyright. So, you know, Slate allowed me to, to say so, and that was fun. So I'm pretty much, for better or worse, always thinking about superheroes because I'm sadly extroverted and, you know, have a savior of plus three, which means it's easy to give me a condition by trying to raise my savior. <laughs> the way that I see the world has, for better or worse, been shaped by, you know, reading too many dead poets and too many basically Bronze Age and, and some modern superhero team books, New Mutants, X-Men, you know, Giffen Levitt's Legion of Superheroes comics. I'm sort of always thinking, how can these like weirdos work together to validate each other and, and help others? And since I have an anomalous body, an anomalous way of seeing the world anyway, uh, and this is a point that was made by the terrific literary scholar Ramsey Fowes. Superhero media and superhero stories stand out in our culture because they make having an anomalous body something to celebrate and a way to help people. And they're the only commonly encountered popular kind of story that that do that. So I'm a fan of them. I hadn't played RPGs for most of my adult life, but I had, had wanted to. And honestly, before the pandemic, I realized that I wanted to play RPGs with friends and tried to get groups together and kind of failed. And there were a couple of very tough afternoons when I tried and failed to 
GM Dungeons and Dragons with people who were not enough into it. And I wish I could have those couple of Sundays back. And then the pandemic happened. And then I started talking to Fiona more. And she and I got into this online, all queer people, weekly D&D game. And we discovered after, I don't know, six months or so, that we really liked being in games with each other and that that was not the right game for, <laughs> for us. And that turned into Fiona absolutely transforming you know, every day of my life by GMing a two-year-long masks game. And that turned into Fiona kind of saying, let's do a podcast because she has audio engineer skills and amazing GMing skills and systems analysis skills. And I think about superhero stories all the time. And we took it from there. And I, I just, you know, when you have experiences where you're like, I've always wanted to do something like this, but it's actually better than I even imagined. <laughs> That's what it's like. Amazing. Where were you, Fiona? Is there something special? specific about superheroes that draws you in or are you just an rpg fan yeah i am definitely the more casual superhero <laughs> fan between the two of us but i would say there are stories that really do speak to me i've mentioned a handful of times when you could you saw stephanie's x-men poster mine are harder to decode <laughs> but i've got a lot of squirrel girl art including a squirrel girl actually original panel behind me and a, and a squirrel tattoo so it's like you know the squirrel girl love is incredibly strong <laughs> but you know steph mentioned you know the start of the pandemic and that was really my introduction two RPGs of being in lockdown, of playing in this queer game, of DMing for my family. And I had this, I mean, just like new relationship energy for RPGs and was reading a ton, trying to learn how to GM. And so I would go over to Steph's place and we, Steph and I have been friends for a handful of years, but like we got a lot closer hanging out on her porch and I would be talking about RPGs and she would be talking about New Mutants. <laughs> and like we would leave like with me handing her like, here's Dungeon World and her being like, OK, here's, you know, you know Warlock's first appearance or, or whatever. It, that really kind of became a, a natural focus for me. And once I started realizing like, oh, there are a bunch of superhero games, but they're all different. They're trying to tell these different stories. I'm like, that's that's interesting. That's maybe the basis for discussion. And I'm here with like, a tremendous subject matter expert on superhero narratives, like we can do something with this. I love audio as a format. A lot of the most fun hours of my life before I came out, because coming out makes everything more fun, were being a college radio DJ where no one can see you and people can hear you. And you can just be like, here are my five favorite songs. Here's how they fit together. You know, here's, here's some game theory, the band, not the, <laughs> <laughs> get ready for some game theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get ready for some game theory of the band. And I love audio as a medium and they have no sound engineer skills. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm one of those unfortunate trans girls who can't program. <laughs> and I, I feel bad about that. But when I learned that, that Fiona actually has and enjoys audio engineering skills and that we could do this, I just kind of melted. I think. Were you there for me melting? I, I can't keep track of the number of times. You're you're a very expressive in your enthusiasm. I'm like germanium. I'm normally solid, but I melt very easily. Wait, is it germanium or gallium? Oh no! Now we have to find out. One thing that I've I've learned being with Steph is again, you know, you see the English stuff, right? She's you know teaches English at university and all this stuff. Actually, has like a real underlying hard sciences background. I saw this in our mundane supernatural life or whatever. Every once in a while, you'll just like get these chemistry and physics deep cut references. It's it's delightful. It is gallium. Gallium has a melting point of 85 degrees Fahrenheit. I think an important part of the podcast is the fact that you're playing different games, right? Like that was a choice to be made. You could have been playing the same game for an extended period of time and then talking about it. So yeah, you, you talk about one, Fiona, your kind of uh, interest in trying out new systems and Stephanie, your interest in analyzing these games different 
priorities or what they're trying to do in terms of narrative. Is that the reason why this podcast is about showcasing different games? I think that, like as we dig into the format of team up moves, you're basically just going to uncover my insecurities and neurodivergencies. Uh, first of all, I do have ADHD. And so the idea of being able to read about different systems and try out different systems is super exciting and engaging for me. You know, I, I GM'd, as Steph mentioned, to your game of masks. And like, that was a tremendous campaign and highlight of, of my adult life. But also I'm oh. always with these groups being like, okay, we've played this for like five sessions. Like, what if apocalypse keys, you know? So part of it is that. I think the other part is, for better or worse, we're really trying to have these games in some ways speak for themselves. And this is maybe a discussion topic because I don't know if this is like actually possible (laughs) with RPGs, right? But my sense in being a GM of these games is to really try to show the game being the game. It's not necessarily about me and my GMing style and like me telling a story. Like I want to tell interesting stories, but my priority is I want the story to be interesting enough that you're willing to listen and then hear this game being played so that you can get something out of the discussion. And so going longer than a one shot, first of all, is a scheduling nightmare. And then second of all, it's like, okay, but then it starts to become more about the story and the characters. And like, those are great. But I think that then takes the highlight away from these are the mechanisms of this game. This is how it works. Yes, all of that. The things that I would add is that being in a conversation that is a systems analysis conversation with Fiona is amazing. And we get to have a systems analysis conversation with Fiona about a new system every time we do a back matter episode. And it's awesome. And, you know, if I didn't need to sleep and had no children, I would want to be in, you know, four different RPGs every week and probably two or three of them would be superhero themed. And one of them would be a 10 year long masks campaign, but we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get that. The other thing that's not about systems analysis, that doing it this way, two other things, that doing it this way is awesome for me, and that a long, continuous campaign would not generate. One is you get to meet new people and hang out with new people, or sometimes bring people you already know who you haven't been in a game with, who don't have the ability or the, you know, time to do this. You just get, you know, new friends, right? Which is a (laughs) small girl thing. New friends! And the other is, um, I don't have Fiona's systems analysis skills, although I hope I'm slowly learning, but I'm, I really love creating new characters. <laughs> and I get to watch other people create new characters and, you know, new antagonists and new situations and new institutions and groups and, you know, urban architecture. And I get to create one to ten new characters every time we do an arc. And I love that. And they're not all shapeshifters. Just because the, both of you have brought it up. So listeners, one of the cool things about the podcast is specifically after every one shot on it, there is an episode called Back Matter, which is a discussion episode. Everyone who played the game kind of gets down. And I think, Fiona, I think you have a, a set list of questions right that you kind of like work through there is a structure to it and i think i mean my two favorite ones are i mean what is this game trying to do classic totally get why that's there Mm -hmm. and the second one Mm -hmm. which i would not have thought of which i am intrigued by and really love is you know when did the game help you feel like a superhero how did the game do that so yeah generally like, what are you trying to do with Back Matter? Why did you structure it in this particular way? And also, I would love to specifically get to that question and why why that question is in there. Yeah. Well, I think having a structure at all, I think, yeah, in retrospect, makes sense. But it, to me, I'm super influenced by Plus One Forward, Character Creation Cast, these other shows, and sort of in thinking about our podcast like, okay, what makes some of those work and, and, and what are patterns that I can follow? And so the idea of like, okay, let's not just have a completely freewheeling discussion, but like, let's hit a couple things. You know, we do origin story at the beginning because I actually, I don't like doing character creation on mic. That part, like, 
you know, you get that in some other podcasts and it can be a drag in the very first episode to be like, now let's figure out our relationships. And I'm like, I want to start with a little more punch. So it's like, yeah. okay, let's do character creation. Like, let's talk about it retrospectively. And so it's, again, we're, we're kind of in this space of we're sort of reviewing the game as a game, just kind of doing like, hey, it's a review. We don't give five star, you know, stars or anything like that. And, and then we're also trying to say like, okay, what sort of stories does this tell? How does it tell them? How does it use mechanisms to tell those stories? So it's, it is kind of structured to have like that big middle section of the letters page in order to kind of get at those meteor topics. Then we kind of have like a lightning round of we call I mean it's I just like went too hard on just like the comic book metaphors, right? It's ongoing retcon and spin-off. I love it. It's designed to be like maybe a little bit of a criticism sandwich, right? There's sort of two good things and a thing that's like, okay, maybe that didn't work well. And then, you know, we always end with back issues, which is comic book recommendations. And that both sort of reinforces like, hey, these things are about actual media. Maybe it's a fun takeaway. People get recommendations from that. It's maybe a little bit of a gimmick. I don't know. It's it's like a cute thing that we can do that just by virtue of, of our subject matter. But the specifically the when did this make you feel like a superhero? I think it's funny because that question we have had to like not every game. Like it doesn't fit every game. Right. We did a, a City of Shining Stars with Jeff Stormer and that is a city building game, right? The, the players, we were not personifying individual people. So then it was a little bit more like, when did this make you feel like a comic book writer? But in the end, it's about getting to the fact that these, these games are trying to hit specific narrative things that we recognize from other media. And so it's, it's sort of having that chance. Like if we played a game that didn't make you feel like a superhero and you were supposed to be personifying a superhero like that's significant right yeah, yeah. i don't know Steph, I mean, you actually answered like i never answer that question kind of as as the gm but uh, i don't know if Steph, if you have any feelings about oh yeah saying things i have i have two i have two feelings one and i think i've i've written poems about this what we are seeing on thomas on your podcast is just how much work fiona does as a gm as a person who's in charge of structure and sort of what happens and, you know, in, in the theater world, it would be directing and theater tech. And uh, for oh, some of the time, I just feel like I get up on stage and I'm, I'm with our, our guests and I just want this. I want to be sure there's enough spotlight on Fiona because she's awesome. And she does all this work that I could never do. And it's a collaborative podcast and I'm the co-host but she does tend to be the one asking the questions and when she gets to answer, it's the best The question specifically, when did this make you feel like a superhero, which I think is where we're, we're going here. Superhero or superhero adjacent games are sort of by definition, genre simulators, whatever else they are, but they don't always simulate the same genre. They don't always have the same idea of what superpowers are for. And it's a great time not only to talk about our experience with the story that we've been in and with the characters that we've been inhabiting, but about what kind of stories or what kind of experiences these games are designed to tell. And in terms of the games that we've recorded already, I want to say, because this is the kind of sadly literary critic I am, shout out to my favorite dead critic, William Empson, E-M-P-S-O-N. Super versatile, kind of super heroic, bi, poly, thoughtful, fun, formative. Also had this bizarre beard that looked like Spanish moss just hanging down from his chin. Anyway, I think that we have discovered so far on the podcast that there are four kinds of games that we have played. Should we? Should I taxonomize? Please. <laughs> this is new to me. I'm excited. I'm going to take notes. Okay. The first kind is a game that is focused on superhero fights, on fights or fight-like, you know, save people from a burning building, action simulations, and whatever else it can do, it does that. And these games vary in how fast they move, how complex they are, how much they want to simulate reality versus how much they want to simulate comic books. But games where... 
the system is designed to focus on physical conflict, on what Robin Laws, who Fiona had me read, who's amazing, would call a procedural beat. And so here, just for examples, this would be Champions, Sentinel mm-hmm. Comics, Spectaculars. Exactly. Yeah. The second kind of game has room for combat and other physical conflict actions that show your superpowers. But it's really about feelings. It's about what Robin Laws calls dramatic beats, about how you, your character, feels about themselves and about their evolving relationships and their their place in a society that is trying to tell them who they are or sometimes trying to tell them to get out of town and they have to resist. Right. And so that would be Masks, which is coming up possibly by the time you're it's listening terrible. to this, number 10. Yeah. And then I would say I would say Exceptionals probably goes in that as well, where it's like it's the same resolution mechanism based on whether you're using your powers or using your, you know, more mundane skills. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the games that I want, you know, if I didn't sleep or have kids, would want to be in a 10-year-long campaign in every one of those games. They're also the only kind of game that I know how to GM. I am GMing masks and what I hope and think will be a long campaign. It's been about a year now. But, you know, feelings. <laughs> Third category is games where you are primarily simulating trying to be the a comic book writer right. or editor or creator rather than a superhero character and those games can dip in and out of you're the character you're the writer but they're primarily focused on creating a plot where you you aren't expected to role play everything and they're often they're games that that simulate that make can make you feel like you're in an editorial conference room rather than sort of acting csux definitely there i don't know whether you're going to put a city of shining stars but maybe i would although if we had world enough in time, City of Shining Stars would be more of a feelings game because this is a, you know, it's a continuum. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. City of Shining Stars is, is super brilliant because it combines aspects of the pretend to be a writer game and aspects of the feelings relationships oriented game in a way that I didn't think was possible until we played it. So that was great. But yeah. And then the fourth kind of game that we've played is Mutant City Blues. <laughs> yeah, it's its own thing, and I loved it. And it additional shouts out to Robin Laws, and then yeah, hand in hand on that. Yeah, and and you know that is a game where you're trying to work together to solve a mystery. And good mystery plots, Raymond Chandler novels, for example, make procedural beats and dramatic beats inexplicable because if you don't investigate the feelings, you don't solve the mystery. And they make physical conflict rare, but part of the story those are i think that might be uniquely hard to gm but i defer to fiona on that but mutant city blues i loved playing it i would play it again i would never try to convince someone to gm it who didn't want to gm it because detective stories are uniquely i think hard to pace and and create and and run and and Possibly for that reason, superhero comics, like published mainstream superhero comics that are detective stories, are relatively rare and compared to detective novels, quite simply plotted. The comic book Mutant X, for example, in which Bishop, the X-Man, is solving crimes it, it's mostly about feelings and punching. There is a mystery solved, but it's not hard to solve. And, you know, Batman is supposedly the world's greatest detective, but he's mostly not detecting. He's having to <laughs> bad guys. At some point, we'll discover a fifth kind of game, or we'll just discover where the things we keep playing fit in these, this kind of four-cornered space of games. Fiona, did you find Mutant City Blues such a such a unique experience was that also your experience as as a gm that it felt like you were doing something different than when you were running those other games oh i would say absolutely and quick background for folks who 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 don't know or maybe not familiar so Munity blues is using the gumshoe system which is in like trail of cthulhu and night's black agents and sort of some of these other games and it is a game about 
it's system. It's a system about solving mysteries. And unlike, you know, your Brindlewood Bays, your Apocalypse Keys, it is a traditional like there is a solution to this mystery. And so, yeah, there is pressure on the GM <laughs> to prep yeah. a mystery that is kind of interesting and is not trivial to solve. That is definitely one of the most surprising games for me. I remember reading it, and I think I mentioned this in the back matter, being a little disappointed with the mechanisms uh, because I was looking at it, you know, again, this is why we play the games, right? Because like, at least with my level of RPG experience, reading the book only gets you so far as to understanding like, what is this play experience? Yeah. yeah. But like it's it's oh you've got these pools and you choose to spend and you're spending before you roll the dice but then like some things we just give you and so you could in theory play a gumshoe game rule quote rules as written by saying like all right I'm gonna look around is there any art history things to learn here nope okay I'm gonna look around is there any pop culture things to learn here and just sort of like go through like those gimme skills yeah. those free investigative yeah. skills. And, like, maybe if we were sitting around, like, trying to play this as a board game, that's what would happen and be like, okay, this is not a great board game. But it's an RPG, so people aren't doing that, right? It does have a narrative back when you're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, take out my chemical detection thing or, or I mean, lick everything is what happened in that yes. episode. Everyone yes. was just, like, licking everything all the time. So, but, yeah, like, making that mystery was tricky because I was also, I was talking with my spouse about that. She definitely helped me sort of plot some of this because the, the idea was we, we liked mysteries where you kind of figure out who it is and maybe you don't fully, you're not 100% convinced it's them. You're like, okay, it's probably them. And you know what? They actually kind of had a good reason. So like, we're not going to push too hard on like putting them in jail. Cause I mean, look, the politics of this podcast we're not explicit about them, but we do not hide them, right? This is not going to be about, like, carceral systems and, like, stopping, you know, desperate people. <laughs> so coming up with that plot and then, again, thinking about, actually, Steph, it almost fits well when you're talking about simple, simple mysteries. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've learned as a GM in my short time doing it is just simplify, right? Okay, that plot is too high. Like when you're thinking through, when you're thinking through your prep, it's easy to be like, and then that person betrayed that person, but they really betrayed a third person. When my characters figure this out, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be mind blowing to them. That never comes across the table. So it's just like, maybe it's this, you know, you have like one red herring of a possible suspect and then just like, no, these are, these are the actual culprits. And, you know, but I think the other thing to think about with that game and, and sort of mystery games, and, and Shana said this in the back matter, and it stuck with me, that when we think about genre emulation, it's a detective story genre emulation. So everyone knows you're going to figure out who done it that's a conceit of the genre the characters don't know that but all the players and stuff know that so the game shouldn't necessarily be about winning in some sense winning or losing of like do the players figure out the answer and so when i was reading it, i'm like wow they can just essentially they can always get to the answer it's like yeah yeah that's the point yeah. <laughs> of the story is that you get there and then it's the question is how do you get there what are the costs what can you prove what can't you prove? But the fact that the game mechanisms really do make it easy, relatively easy, you know, like that's that's the point of gumshoe, right? Actually, like you read it and it's Robin Laws is like, hey, if you're playing a game like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, where you have to roll these insight checks and you fail, what happens to your mystery story? Yeah. It goes nowhere. So, you know what, let's take out the yeah. rolls. So it's a game about solving mysteries and like, that's okay that it gets solved. And so, yeah, I had a great time with it. But again, the idea of running a campaign of one of those games and having to come up with novel mysteries for my players is daunting and, you know, props to anyone who can pull it off. I'm, I'm very impressed, but I I don't think I I have that depth (laughs) of, you know, of plot. I'm, I'm honestly like, it made me want to GM Mutant City Blues like three or four years from now. Like, not not now. I mean, I c- connect with that because I think my problem with the gumshoe system is it's, I think, fine as a player, but as a GM, it feels a lot 
like I've written the detective novel and now you get to follow the crumbs I have put exactly in the way that they're meant to be followed to some extent, right? Like, like as a GM, I'm not even allowed to really let you forget that you have a skill that should give you a clue in this scene, right? I have all your character mm-hmm. sheets in front of me and I go like, oh, you've got all the skills here. So when you come into the scene, I go like, hey, you know, you have art history. Like, so you you can figure something out here or something like that. Yeah, well, the system has this concept of a core clue yeah. and yeah. that, you know, it should be that a core clue is in the scene and will lead to another scene and will go yeah. forward. So yeah, if if the characters try to leave without getting the core clue, the GM really needs to be like, hey, y'all, there's... Can I just kind of defend, like being a player in this made me want to GM it someday when my life is different. So can I kind of defend it hypothetically or is that not my place? I mean, I did not imply that to me that nobody should want to GM this game, but so please, please defend it. (laughs) Okay, so the reason I love reading Raymond Chandler is not because the mysteries get solved. It's because there's atmosphere and and feelings and scenes and like you are there and sometimes the scenes are ridiculous and sometimes they're really sad. The thing about that arc is that we didn't just get to solve the mystery we also got to do things that were ridiculous and to have feelings and yeah. to explore character beats that were PC, PC interactions and that were also PC and PC interactions yeah. that could have gone very differently without wrecking the plot or, you know, stalling out. And the game provided all kinds of options for that. And I mean, because of all those interactions, because of the way that they went, the game also was one of the the arcs that we we did that really I thought was really successful in terms of social commentary. This is why people in certain situations end up doing the things that they do. And and also, my character got to lick so many things that were not food. <laughs> and I love. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to disagree that there's a lot of interesting yeah. character stuff that can that can happen there, and certainly there. Are any number of skills that, that do come down to dice rolls. But there is the challenge that the skeleton of the game is this pre-prepped yeah. uh, mystery piece. And like, you do kind of need that. And yeah, I, I think that there are ways to let it be a little bit more open-ended, perhaps. You know, in our playthrough, the characters went somewhere I didn't know. Yeah. Like I had not yeah. thought of, but was like, I guess I have to go here. And luckily they couldn't pick the locks. We're like, cool, let's just go <laughs> and get some fraps. But like, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that like you could maybe try to be a little bit more open-ended and a little bit flexible at the table and say like, okay, I'm going to move this clue here. And like, maybe we can keep yeah. going. But I think in some ways, the strength of the system, the way that it works is it forces you to have core clues. It forces you to make a mystery that's not going to stall yeah. out. And it's like, that's great. So like, if you are like, I'm going to pre-prep a thing, if you're that mindset as a GM, I think Gumshoe works yeah. and tells the stories and in, in, in totally, but you do have to say like, all right, I'm going to be a pre-prepping GM. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it does not work to improvise the entire mystery you you know you can play around the edges and sort of rearrange things but i don't yeah i think that if you try to just go completely off the bat <laughs> no yeah it's, it's, it not be, me- it it's not a, meant a poor to experience yeah yeah exactly yeah. 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 there's maybe there's a continuum besides the sort of different kinds of genre foci that we're talking about a continuum from you must pre-prep the heck out of this to this is a game that will not let you pre-prep something like C2X where you, you literally are not able to know what kind of story you're telling until you start drawing cards. I'm interested in your preferences now. Like I know that you're both fans of masks. It was really interesting to talk about Mutant City Blues. First of all, I'm interested in how you pick these games because they are very different. Why would you go from anyone can wear the mask to champions, right? Like there's such <laughs> I'm interested in why you do that. And also like whether you go into that knowing that you have a preference and and kind of exploring outside your your comfort zone. Yeah, as a GM, I have a very strong preference <laughs> for Powered by the Apocalypse games. Okay. That is you know, the most games that I've jammed, I feel like it fits my prep light, but, you know, kind of mindset where I've got some ideas, but then I really want to see 
how the players are going to interact with them and, and, and how they're going to shape things. So it's, it's actually kind of, I mean, masks were like, all right, let's, let's leave this to later. Like, let's build up to this because like, we knew we have to do it eventually. Yeah. And we wanted to be like, all right, let's get enough episodes under our belt that we can go to, you know, James Malloy of Protean City Comics. Yeah. We can go to Indie Tan of Dice Comics and say like, hey, we're legit. Let's talk. Let's talk about this game. Like, let's kind of go in depth. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I can't wait for folks to hear that run because it's great. It's so, I mean, we've got a doc and sort of anytime we hear about a game, we add it to the doc. I think it was very well seeded by, I think maybe like Dicebreaker or someone did when Marvel last summer, I guess, released the playtest of their new like 616 system. You know, Dicebreaker, I think, did a here's 27 superhero <laughs> games that are not that. And I'm like, yeah. cool, <laughs> you know, 13 of these are new to me, like, like, cool. But it's sort of sorted into different camps of, I mean, in some ways, kind of matching a little bit of, of Steph's taxonomy of, okay, here are those general fight games. And then here are games that are like trying to dig into a very specific piece of superhero fiction. You know, we hope to play, for example, Mutants in the Night by Orion Black, and that is like a Days of Future Past yeah. sort of, you know, very specific kind of kind of thing. But we also, you know, want to kind of cover the history of it. And so there's the list of like seminal games, and Champions is on that, Mutants and Masterminds. I think Masks is sort of a new classic. So we want to make sure that we really are exploring the full breadth. And then we try to, you know, pace it up to switch among different kinds of systems and work with guest availability and sort of all of those pieces so that you do get that wide variety. You know, we, we put our mundane supernatural life, which is not as doesn't have to be a superhero game, but like we made it a superhero game. We're like, okay, let's do this like fifth so that'll be a good time when people are like, oh, how are Fiona and Steph like just together? Like, what, how does that sound? But, but yeah, the Anyone Can Wear the Mask and Champions. Actually, we recorded Anyone Can Wear the Mask first as like a pilot. We're like, okay, this is a three-player game. So it's just us and one other person. We'll get CC because we love them. Yes. And it's also we'll do a little bit of city building stuff. And who it, it like reaped so much. I mean, you know, yeah. like New Arcadia, I always want to credit want to make sure I credit CC because the four neighborhoods that they came up with have shaped this podcast and yeah. I love them. Plus the warehouse district. There's now, there's five neighborhoods now. Right. Yes. That's the, the mask. I think that's a mask cliche that I, I may actually need to credit. I think James Malloy, someone on Twitter mentioned that like every masks actual play podcast always has to have a warehouse district, right? It's, you know, down by the docks, <laughs> but sort of like, all right, let's just make sure this thing works and we'll do anyone can wear the mask. You know, it's, it's, one of the games that I think sparked the idea for this podcast of like Jeff Stormer, like trying to do a very specific kind of superhero story, but we were going to release it second. And we were like, let's lead off with champions, right? Champions is the well-known game. This is like the big one. And so we got Ian and we did champions. And we got as soon as we were done recording it, we're like, this cannot be the first episode because we sound incompetent. And, I, you know, listening back, it's like, well, sure. I mean, this is like, I was a first-time GM of it. Steph was a first-time player. No, Ian no, I, I played. I, oh, no, sorry. You played the old, yeah, you played the I old played champions. The I'm old sorry. champions a lot, but it was yeah. dec literally a, a couple decades ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we spent 15 minutes in a tank of water fighting over a gun. And it's funny now. But listening back, we're like, this is not a great way to introduce ourselves. So we'll we'll do it instead of the order. We'll do anyone can wear the mask first. Like it's great, it's fun. You know, we got so much love from Jeff. I mean, yeah, he has been just a yep. rock of support, Swarmer. absolutely incredible. You know, and then we'll do champions, and then champions can then be like this running gag that we mentioned in later episodes. I mean, the, <laughs> As I say, the, the pacing improves every episode, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, a yes, it does. B, the thing about the champions episode was like when you know, because we always Fiona edits, and then I listen to everything before it goes on air, and I wasn't when I listened to it. My reaction was, yeah, this can't this can't be our first arc. But I didn't think we sounded incompetent. Maybe that's I'm um, too flattering. But I thought we sounded like we were having fun and revealing a, a major problem 
in modern terms, in that system, which is that certain kinds of tasks, you're allowed to perform them repetitively. You are sometimes required to perform them repetitively. And you've rolled all the dice in the house five times and your, your tea is boiling and you're still stuck in the tank of water. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's not, sometimes it's not us. Right. I mean, I think that one of the limitations of Team Up Moves as a format is just that for almost every game, this is my first time yeah. running it. I, I guess I had run Sentinel Comics as a one shot before because I was excited about that. Masks might be like one of the first where I'm like, like, I, I felt great. Like, oh, cool. Like, I don't even I barely have to prep for this one. Like, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And so for games that are pick up and play, that's not necessarily a yeah. problem right? CSUX, et cetera. For games like Champions, especially because, you know, it's a trad game, right? It's got a literal long legacy. It is a game that requires some amount of GM skill or just GM experience because the numbers are so context-free or just relative, right? The fact that someone has like a 14 defense in some games, that might not mean anything, relative and in some games like ours it meant like okay johnny three guns is essentially untouchable (laughs) in this in this situation and so i try to be aware of that because i don't want to say champions is boring you can't get any damage done when we're talking about it in the back matter because that's not true that's what happened in our playthrough because of my familiarity of the system and other people's familiarity of the system if i could convince be convinced to play champions again which would cost a lot of money i think (laughs) i would do better (laughs) but you know that's not going to happen and so like it's it it does come when you know when we are criticizing these games and i use criticizing in the like literary criticism not like right exactly no yeah exactly try to be really aware of this is a facet that came about because of us and because of our playthrough now if you were to pick up champions for the first time you may have a similar experience to us. And, you know, that sort of underlines this and sort of that extra validity. Maybe you'll learn from us and make enemies too squishy and, and that's fine. You'll adjust. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a negative of the game other than, hey, heads up, this is a thing y'all need to learn yeah. in order to play it effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only thing I want to add there is that even the games where I have had the moments of, of maximum frustration in in the actual play, each each one of those games, and I would single out Champions and Sentinel Comics, is something where there's something great about it. There's something that this game is the best game at doing, and I'm just so happy to have done that. In particular with Sentinel Comics, which is a a system that wasn't my favorite system. It it felt board gamey in a way that wasn't awesome. The Sentinel Comics character creation system made me create a character I got really attached to playing (laughs) and would honestly recreate in a different system so I could play her some more. And if if we hadn't gone through the rules as written Sentinel Comics character creation decision tree, she wouldn't she wouldn't be right there in New Arcadia, you know, trying to sell the Miller compound. (laughs) Every every game that we play has something that no other game does as well. And by playing rules as written and by just trying things, I, I want to say this sounds grandiose that we're learning not just about the diversity of role-playing systems, but about the diversity of the human imagination when we accept various kinds of constraints. I think this is uh, as good a time as any to kind of segue into the the standard questions that I kind of ask everybody. And yeah, sounds great. Standard questions, standard questions. <laughs> okay, so in the section titled Infectious Enthusiasm, I ask, what's a game that you've had a lot of fun with that you want to recommend to my listeners? Fiona, do you want to start us off and then we'll go to Stephanie? Yeah, absolutely. So the game that I picked for this is called Wool of Bat, and it's by Ethan Harvey, and you can get it off of his his itch page. And it's a belonging outside of belonging, like no dice, no masters game that is 
emulating the if y'all are familiar with Discworld, Terry Pratchett's yeah, Discworld, yeah. specifically the witches. So, you know, Nanny Ah, Granny Weatherwax, McGrath Garlic, etc. This is a game where you play characters who are, you know, the playbooks are patterned after Terry Pratchett's witches. And I played this a couple months ago. It's the first time I'd done a belonging outside belonging game. And we had just a ton of fun. It's got great randomization, tables, just the theme comes through. And so, yeah, check out Will of Bad, especially if you're a, a Pratchett witches well, fan. Stephanie, what was your recommendation? I have played so many fewer, so much less, many less. What's the grammar there? So many fewer games and systems than Fiona that I almost feel like I shouldn't have an answer. <laughs> but I'm going to say that the the game that's been the most fun for me that we have not played on the podcast has been Monster Hearts. Mm. And I would love to, that is a game that does not lend itself to one shots. And it's also a game that feels like, honestly, it, it feels like a New Mutants comic. But the opportunity to delve into feelings and also get supernatural ridiculousness and also get the good things about Buffy because I was a Buffy fan without the things we now recognize as... <laughs> Painfully derivative <laughs> by modern standards, offensive yeah. or you know ruined. Uh, the opportunity to do a kind of good things exfiltration from Buffy and then role play that is is something I would gladly pursue again. And this is a powered by the apocalypse game. I when you mentioned that Monster Hearts still feels like New Mutants, the only thing that came to my mind is that I realize now that there is this this future horizon for team-up moves where <clears throat> where you run out of superhero games and then you start playing other <laughs> games as superheroes. And that's exciting. That sounds really cool because, again, in this project of discovering what superheroes' stories are and what they can be and where you can go with them, that would be cool. That's actually a good reminder. And, and for me, because when I'm talking about sorting out the games... Yeah. I mean, we talked about our mundane supernatural life, you know, not technically a superhero, but there, I have a list of like, hey, we could do these. Nice. Thirsty Sword Lesbians oh, yeah. is yes. on there. When we were talking with Jeff Stormer about A City of Shining Stars, he said his favorite superhero game is Passion Seas Passiones, <laughs> which does apparently have a like Xavier's Mansion kind of like yeah, playset yeah. to it. And so that is. 100%, you know, on our list, shall we say, Amazing. for a game that we want to try. Because actually, I mean, I think that, you know, Steph has said as much on the show, those superhero fight games, that's not necessarily what we go to comic books for. That's not necessarily what we go to superheroes for. And so, yeah, you have these games. It's like, this game is great at emulating a superhero fight, but... We like the feelings. We like the stories about outcasts. We like those things. And some of those games just completely don't address them. You know, there's no mechanisms for them the way that Exceptionals or, um, you know, Masks does. And then the way that these other feelings games could too. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I like about superhero stories is that real life consists of having lots of feelings and realist fiction consists of having lots of feelings and trying to do things and being limited by what you can literally do. And the brilliance of my favorite superhero stories is that the writers and artists and therefore the characters have the option of having a conversation, trying to go to the ice cream shop and ask somebody out, or they can use their powers to change or allegorize their feelings or when it's time for a break from feelings, they can go fight their way out of Arcade's death trap, which when that's done well, also allegorizes some feelings because <laughs> what is Arcade but a literalization of the, you know, you have to fight your way out of the traps that narcissistic personalities build for the people around them. I actually keep talking about this because spoilers for our Cypher System episode. <laughs> My mind is currently at arcade death traps. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk okay. about this offline. I will yeah. say, like, Steph has spent, like, too much time complimenting me, and, and it's sweet, and I appreciate it. One 
thing that is amazing about Stephanie and like one of her actual superpowers is to just give superhero characters and plots like by request. We were a week out from masks and I'm like, I'm not entirely sure like where I want to go. And it's like, Steph, can you just like send me five superhero teen plots? And she's like, do you need that tonight or tomorrow? Because I can do either. And it's it's great. It's so inspirational. It's it's so wonderful and useful. So, you know, one of the things that I do really love doing this podcast with her is is just like getting getting to see that that breadth of cool, generative, improvised superhero stuff. Thank you. I'm trying to get better at accepting compliments. In a section called Tyranny of Numbers, I ask, what is a number or statistic that you can share from your work that you think will be useful to others? So, you know, there's our download numbers. Mm -hmm. our, our top episode is, is a little over 200 downloads right now, you know, and which is... And counting. Yeah, and counting, which, which I think is sort of speaks to the challenge of promotion in this rapidly becoming post-Twitter world. <laughs> but I think that and counting is kind of important and interesting because of our format of doing a bunch of different games. Our episodes, I think, have a long tail of time. Yeah. From my perspective, like when I go to play a new game, I'm always looking like, okay, was this on Party of One? Was this mm -hmm. on She's a Super Geek or One Shot? Like, I want to hear other people playing it just to kind of get that sense. Yeah. So... You know, even though some of our episodes maybe didn't get huge numbers of listeners this past year, you know, we're going to keep them up, right? Yeah. They're going to be there. They're they're timeless in that sense. I would say my other thing and is between three and a half to and four to one in terms of editing time mm. to finished audio time. And I'm trying to get that number down for my own sake and schedule but i think both to share that as a hey if that's how long the rest of y'all are taking like cool we're in the same boat <laughs> also if you want to get into this like be prepared for that yeah. i think but i do really enjoy the editing it's a lot of fun but it is that's the big time sink yeah. of these podcasts no question wait, wait did you just say that for every hour we record you spend four hours editing yep. it up to four hours yeah, yeah. I want, I want it to be a good experience for everyone to listen to. I don't mind spending the time. Yeah. Okay. In this section titled, All Advice is Advice for Myself, I ask, what's a habit or technique you're trying to get better at doing at the table? Why don't you go first on this stuff? Okay. I am trying to get better in life at not jumping in where I can leave space for other people who have frankly, slightly slower reaction times. I'm a jumpy, twitchy, high energy person. And often if I just bite my tongue for three seconds, someone else will do something way cooler than what I was going to do. That's life advice for myself. And <laughs> I often, I, most of the people who are close to me and most people I'm at tables with, I give opposite advice. Please be more forward. <laughs> we believe in you. You're amazing. You're creative. Please do the thing. But I have to bite my tongue to give them the space to do the thing. In terms of RPG-specific advice, I tend to try to use the most distinctive powers that my character has to do everything. Nice. If you've got telekinesis and it's breakfast time, I'm going to try to cook using telekinesis. Yeah. And that's fun. And it's appropriate to some characters, uh, characters who we create and canonical, you know, big two superhero comics characters who are very good at using their powers and ridiculously bad at daily life. <laughs> but sometimes it's better to have your character do the thing in the normal way or use mechanical moves that are built into the game that are not powers related and are trying to get better at that. Yeah, that is, that is a great that is a great tip. In my games, even if it's not trying to solve every problem with the cool thing that you've designed your character to do, it's sometimes about not doing the thing that another character might do that your character shouldn't because they would do it this other way. They would use their ability in this way to do that. So, yeah, I, I like that a lot. So I would first say I love that you're asking this question and I love that self-improvement thought in 
anything, <laughs> but for me, you know, especially RPGs, you know, they're they're kind of a game of skill. And I am still in the mode of I want to learn how to do this better. I want to be a more effective GM. I want to be more fun as a player to to play with. And that's, you know, part of the retcon thing that we get to in, in the back matter is sometimes it's like, hey, is there a hack for this game? But sometimes it's like, hey, next time you play this game, like, how would you approach it differently? Mm-hmm. How would you try to be more successful? So I, I really do like that ethos, that that mindset of 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 trying to trying to improve your game. So the one that came to mind for me is I'm actually realizing is a principle. I'm pulled out my copy of Apocalypse World Second Edition. I was flipping through the GM principles, <laughs> and it's ask provocative questions and build on the answers. I had an experience where I was playing Thirsty Sword Lesbians. I was running a Thirsty Sword Lesbians campaign, and it was a pirate campaign. And there was, for some reason, you know, one of the PCs had to like prove themselves to this NPC. And we're like, okay, so there was like a sailing challenge. And yeah, I didn't prep for this at all. And so I'm like, all right, it's called like the Leviathan's Gauntlet or something. And then there were three players, and I went around and was like, okay. Cece, why is this hard for your character? Maria, why is this hard for your character? And and like they they put in things like, oh, there's rocks or oh, there's this whirlpool. And so we, you know, we collaborated and built this challenge. And then I was like, cool, now let's run it. And then I do stars and wishes at my tables. And like that was like everyone's like star and wish was like, that was so fun to build the thing together. I hope we do more of that. And so I'm trying to do that, you know, and so in the campaigns I'm running now, I'm asking people for not necessarily, you know, some character things like, hey, why is it, why is it scary to go to this clearing for your character and root? But also some of the things that just like, hey, what do you notice about that guard post and build off of that because it increases the player's connection with a thing. It gives me something exciting and fun to work with at the table, which keeps me engaged and also means I have less prep. Yeah. I think the other piece of this I'm pulling from Stealing Stories for the Devil, the new game from Monty Cook, where it's a heist game. And like the first phase of the game is the GM asking the players, okay, what's a challenge? What's a challenge? What's a challenge in this heist? And the players are assumed to come up with answers that play to their character's strengths. Like that, that's that's the point. Like that's not cheating. That's not metagaming. That's like, yeah, I'm a stealthy character. I want to have an opportunity to do some stealth stuff. Yeah. But then the additional piece that's instilling stories for the devil and like put this in any game is the GM is then like, okay, here's why that's harder. Here's an extra twist to it. Yeah. Here's why, oh, they installed a new biosensing system or it's kind of those those yeah. things. So I'm trying to do this now like, in, in, in all of my games, and I think it may come out on, on some of the stuff we do in the podcast, but like pulling for those things, building off of them, it's it's great for the GM, it's great for the game, it's great for the players. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think that's also my my play style as a, as a GM and player, and I'm sure it's not everybody's cup of tea. I'm sure there are people that it's like immersion breaking for them if you ask them to color in some of the world in a, in a way that they would consider traditionally the the purview of the GM, but yeah, that's something that I'm also trying to work on, and I I love doing that as well. And like you said, because it makes GMing more exciting for me. The more opportunities I give my players to surprise me, the better time I have. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've had to adjust to that as a player, and what what I've found so far is that if there's some kind of of ceremonial separation between the GM saying, what would you like in your world? And the GM saying, you know, I, I would like a drawbridge. And then if, if you then, you know, return to the scene and five minutes later, there's a drawbridge and, you know, how does your metal shaping character react to the broken drawbridge? That's cool. I do find it immersion break if, you know, your character is approaching a river and the GM says, what would you like there? And you have to put a drawbridge there and sort of occupy that, that, you know, severing the corpus callosum multiple brain space <laughs> where you're inhabiting your metal shaping character and you're saying, let's put a drawbridge there. I was in a fate campaign and at some point we'll play a fate system thing on yep, the podcast. Yep, got vented we absolutely will, but, but the way we're going to do that, but the, 
the way that fate asks you to asks players to help build the world while they're living in it, I found extremely distressing. Whereas, hey, what would you like next session? I would like a drawbridge. I would, you know, like a love triangle. And then next session, the GM, having figured out what their players want, puts those things there. And maybe the drawbridge, the player said, I would like a drawbridge that is bright green and has a gnome living underneath it. But just some, some emotional sense of when you're role-playing and when you are the player saying, let's tell the story. I, I love that. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to get back to Fate. I mean, Fate is one of those games where it's like, yeah, we, we tried it. It did not quite click with our table, yeah. which is an instant thing for me of like, well, I got to try it again. You know, like I, I want to find out like what's what's here. But yeah, the fact that you need to have a little bit of authorial detachment to be like, I want a Fate point. I need to get my character in trouble. You know, I need yeah. to think about let's let's give them some bad decisions yeah. to make yeah. requires you to step back a little bit. I just figured it out. I okay. just figured out. Okay. So the way that I Epiphany can get right now on yesterday okay. podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Should I say it? Yeah. <laughs> so there is one category of superhero or, or super powered character in a superheroic story who it will, who is in fact constantly taking you out of the story or re, I mean, there's, there's three really. There's manipulative projective telepaths who tend to be villains. There are frame breakers like Gwenpool, who I think are challenges for GMs and I wouldn't want to just bring in a frame breaker. And there are reality warpers like Jamie Braddock or Proteus or to some extent, Dr. Strange sometimes characters where part of what they do in universe is to change the parameters of the universe and behave as if they are the author and get themselves in trouble that way. Yeah. And I wonder whether for me as a player, the correct approach to a build a vehicle while you're driving it fate system system is to build a reality warper. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Give that a shot. I, I might, <laughs> I might reality warpers for that reason tend to be unheroic characters. They are either, extremely troubled and the story becomes about their mental health conditions or they are very hard to defeat villains. I've talked about how I love Escapade from yes. you know the New Mutants, the, the new New Mutant stuff that Charlie Jane Anders said. And her superpower is to switch like situations with someone or switch. So it's like if you know, if they've knocked her down and bruised her, she can switch to be like, now the other person is the one who's knocked down and bruised and she's standing up, that kind of thing. And like that power, you you can't do that in champions, really. Or like it would be a mess of all of these points and other things. But games like Masks or games that are more free-flowing and are more about the feelings and not about simulating the powers give you much more leeway to do some of these more interesting superhero powers and superhero types that we do like, we do like in our fiction and, and we do want to tell stories about. Yeah. Escapade also, any story containing escapade is automatically a trans story, of course, and it's also automatically metafiction. It's about what it means to imagine yourself temporarily into the place of another character. So escapade is not only amazing and fun to read about and everybody should be reading the Charlie Jean Anders new mutants comics that are coming out now, but also just just by moving through the Marvel universe is performing acts of literary criticism, like it or not. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I love her. That's great. I think that was my last question. Thank you so much, both of you, for showing up and giving me such delightful answers. I mean, we could talk for an hour more, but in... in, in, in <laughs> Let's just do this yeah, again. Let's just do this again later. This doesn't have to be the <laughs> yeah. last time we speak. But, you know, to sign off, are there any links or social media handles you want to throw out to listeners if they would like to keep up with what you're doing. Yeah, sure. And and, and first of all, thank you so much, Thomas, for, for having us on. This was a pleasure and, and, and a lot of fun to chat with you. 
So yes. our show is Team Up Moves, and you can just search for that in Spotify, podcasts, whatever. You know, it's, it is nice that there is a diversity of places that you can get podcasts, and we should be in all of them. <laughs> but you can also go to teamupmoves.com, and that is all one word, all smushed together. Like, I pedantically include the hyphen when I talk about Team Up Moves in other places, but our URL is just Team Up Moves, no hyphen, no space, whatever. And so that has our handles and stuff. I am Fiona Wim on Twitter and Fiona Wim at dice.camp on Mastodon. And don't post much, but do love to chat and do love to, to read those plays. I don't love to read Twitter, but I do love to read Mastodon now. And so, yeah, that's where to find me and Steph. Yeah, teamupmoves.com, all one word. Please you know, come there and listen to what we're doing together. If you want to see the other things I do, I am accommodatingly with two C's and two M's on Twitter and accommodatingly at zirk.us on Mastodon. And you can just search for Stephanie Burt, B-U-R-T, like Burt Backrack. There's two Stephanie Burts who are writers. The other one is a Southern food writer based in South Carolina, and she's wonderful. But just look for the Stephanie Burt that's not Southern food. <laughs> and you'll get you know my books and stuff if you feel like reading them. 